Welcome to the Women & Money Cafe. I'm your host, Julie Flynn, Independent Financial Advisor and Financial Coach, and this is the weekly money podcast for women by women, exploring the practical and emotional side of money. Welcome back to this episode of the Women & Money Cafe. Now today, right, because you know how we like to look at the emotional side of money as well as the practical side of money. We thought we would have a little delve into the old beliefs that we had about money because, as you know, we're all financial coaches as well and Emily's really into our financial well-being. And so we've done a lot of, we, we've become really aware that we have these beliefs about money. Everybody does, it's not just us. And the really scary thing is loads of them are rubbish, a lot of the beliefs that we carry around about money are rubbish. So we thought, let's go and have a little delve in our memory banks to think about what did we used to believe about money that we no longer believe. So we're going to bear all in this episode of the Women and Money Cafe. Now, my, my willing victims, sorry, my co-hosts today are Sarah. Hi, Julie. Hi, Sarah. I've got Michelle. Hi, Julie. And I've got Emily. Howdy. All right. I've got cowboy Emily with me today. And I can tell you it's a thrill. Oh, dear. Right. No, so as I say, we just got thinking, right, what would be a really good thing to share? And I think, as we all do have these weird and wacky ideas about money in our head, and until we shine a light on them, we think they're really normal. So we thought we would delve into them today. Now, I've got a really nice, juicy one to get us started. So I'm going to, it's over to you, Sarah. Tell me something that you used to believe about money that you now no longer believe. I used to believe I was useless with money. Oh, wow. Tell us more. You know when you get pocket money when you're a kid? Hmm. So my brother is seven years younger than me, and we always got given pocket money. We're very fortunate. We always have pocket money. Um, and we were allowed to spend so much of it in the local sweet shop. So you'd go down to the local sweet shop, this will tell you so much about me that's really quite scary. So you go down to a local sweet shop and if you spent, I don't know, let's say a pound on the sweets, we'd both spend a pound on sweets. We'd come back. Within two days, mine would have all been gone. My brothers will last him until he's next loud. By the way, he is a charter financial planner now, so he's a certified financial planner. Um, so until the end of it. So that, because I used to do that, which is more about the chocolate than it was about the money, that's what started people telling me, you're not very good with money because your pocket money is all spent. And, of course, I was that much older, so we're going to have to, going to, have to go back and imagine things here for the younger listeners, but they used to be able to get these things called vinyl records, um, and we used to go down the local shop and get you know the single that was out and all that sort of stuff. So I had things I wanted to spend my money on. Um, that said, I did start working in a, in a, as a Saturday job when I was 14, which again, you could back in those days. Um, and yeah, I used to think it was great. I've got my own money. This isn't pocket money that somebody's saying you should or you shouldn't. This is my own money. So I can do what I bloody well like. Um, and I did. I used to, and I look back now and think, why do people think I was used to his money? Because I, I bought my own clothes with it. I did this with it. I did that with it. I paid my own way. And I was actually learning from a very young age to be financially independent 
which actually is really, really important. But because nobody taught me how to save or the importance of saving or thinking of the future, um, I was just, and I think we've already discussed in other episodes that I'm quite a spontaneous liver today person, and it's just always been there. But that doesn't mean you're useless with money. But if people tell you that you're, you're not very good at this, are you? You're not very good at saving. You're not very good at this. You should be doing this. Um, you run out of money and things like that. Then you start to believe it and you just get set in that pattern of behavior because this is who I am. This is how I do it. Um, so it started from quite a young age, basically. Right. And so having got this message at a young age when really they've misidentified the problem, you, ha- you have a problem with chocolate. <laughs> Don't you? It's not a problem with money. You have a problem with chocolate, which I think many of us can relate to. But how do you think that influenced you then as you were growing up, having taken on board this message? What were the repercussions, do you think? I think the biggest repercussion was that because I didn't like what they were saying to me and I didn't really understand why, I stopped listening. Mm. So then, even when they were saying something helpful or useful or good, I still wasn't listening. They're saying, hey, I'm going off over here and doing the opposite. So um, that was the biggest problem. Were there any benefits, do you think? What, being told that you're not very good with money? For for carrying the belief that I'm not very good with money, were there any upsides to it? Not really. No, I don't think so. I mean, I no, because I just thought, I suppose... I suppose when there were times in my life, particularly as I'm in, if I was if I was felt I was, you know, managing things and doing quite well and I look <laughs> um I still didn't believe that I was doing a very good job because I'd known perhaps others that were doing better. I would never look at consider people of my peers or friends or any who were doing a worse job or were struggling. It was always the ones who were doing better. Um yeah, so no, it didn't it didn't help. Um, because even if I was doing quite well, I didn't think I was doing quite well because I could should be doing better. So how did you come to the realisation that possibly this belief was not true? Do you know what? It wasn't until I started doing financial coaching training. And so how did that play out for you? Well, it was quite, <laughs> it was quite a mind-blowing moment, really. Because as you all know, because you've all done it, when you're doing all those practice things and people are asking questions and it all starts to come out, you suddenly think, oh, it really does go back to then. And then you start to actually share some of the things that you have done and what you have gone through. And you think, actually, I've been pretty good. Um, and what is good and what is bad? It's Ooh. relevant, really. It's, it's only what ma- what matters for you. And yours and work works for you and your and it, the rest there is no good and bad it's just it's just what matters for you so um yeah it wasn't really until obviously I became more aware um but that real when you really took it right the way back and thought flipping it that comes all the way from there um and then I felt I could look back over the challenging times or things that happened that were good or bad and think actually how well I'd coped or even when I'd got you know we had really challenges or whatever and then you get over them and how you then apply things and do things and survived and all the rest of it I just think actually everybody goes through times when they don't do so well at anything but if you can then I felt able to go back and say actually I did really well then or through that or with that 
And I felt I could say nice things about it and start believing in in those nice things instead of just being, oh, well, that's because I wasn't very good with money. All right. So I'm going to guess there's quite a few people listening to this that may also have the dialogue in their head. I'm not very good with money. That's why they're listening. (laughs) So I wondered if you had any advice or any words of wisdom for anybody else that's carrying this belief. I mean, I think when you try and think back to your early memories of money and those early conversations that you either heard or were part of and then how people talk to you about money and then just think about the things that have happened to you in your life and just look back and think yeah there will be times you think god I really messed that up or I didn't handle that very well but try and think about the ones where you did because there really will be times even if it's times when perhaps all you did was survive but you managed to survive think about those good times and really praise yourself for what you did and instead of saying I'm not very good with money you can you know and it's changing it's changing the language and just saying I didn't understand money you know we we didn't you don't you don't born into this world thinking knowing what it all means um I didn't understand money I didn't understand me yeah you know and it, and it's accepting that that it, that really is okay Yep. I love that. Absolutely love that. Thank you. Okay. So, Emily, how do you feel about sharing something that you used to believe about money that you no longer believe? Um, I think that a lot of younger people, um, particularly nowadays, who are totally brainwashed by Instagram and TikTok and influencers, who are basically putting ideas into their head that if you have an amazing lifestyle of driving an amazing car, wearing all the latest fashion trends, you know, just having this ultra abundant, luxurious lifestyle. I think that these people who are watching these things, if they're young and impressionable, are believing that money and all the trappings that come with money and wealth can bring you happiness. And is that um, something that resonates with the younger part of you? Yeah, definitely. Right. I think when we're young and naive, I mean, I used to remember lying in bed at night, struggling to get to sleep and just thinking about how wealthy I was going to be and what kind of clothes I was going to wear and um, not not what car I was going to drive because that's never been something that's interested me. But maybe what kind of house I was going to live. You know, we just have these dreams, and it you don't you don't dream you can have a two up two down nice car to drive. You know, ability to put nice food on the table. You don't dream for enough. Were you dreaming big, Emily? Yeah, I think doesn't everyone. Or is it just me? Nothing wrong with dreaming big. There's nothing wrong with dreaming big at all. As long as you understand that dreaming big does not equal happiness. Because true happiness is something that comes from within and can never be satisfied by external things. Um, is, Is very much my belief. And I'm very keen to talk to my clients about financial well-being because... The ones that come to me and have a goal in their head, which is a figure, you know, if they come to me and they say, oh, yeah, I want to have a million pound in my pension pot, 
is just crazy to me. Having a million pound in your pension pot is literally a number on a pension statement. What does that mean to your life? There's so many other things that are more important than that number on that bit of paper, you know, and that's your health, your friends, your family, all the things that really, really make you happy. Hmm. And having that million pounds in your pot is not going to guarantee that. So I'm going to come in with one of my curiosity questions now. Okay, so we've got a younger Emily who can't get to sleep at night and she's lying in bed and she's dreaming of big houses and nice clothes, probably trips to Brazil as well, I suspect, yeah, and the odd spa weekend. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, a younger version of you is thinking this is, what, this is what's going to give your life meaning, this is what's going to make you happy. And obviously, like Emily today in 2024 thinks slightly differently to the Emily mm. that couldn't get to sleep. So I'm wondering, when did it start to dawn on you that, you know, the, 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 the acquisition of expensive things and possessions is not necessarily the key to happiness? When do you think that penny started to drop? Oh, God, this might sound a bit weird now, but... Um, the weirder, the better. Let's have it. <laughs> well, I think that the trouble is, for most people... In order to be that wealthy, unless some miracle happens and you get just you win the lottery or something like that, in order to be that level of wealthy, you have to sacrifice an awful lot because most people have to work reasonably hard. And I know there's this different idea now that actually you don't need to work hard, you just need to learn work smart. And whilst I agree with that to some extent. I think you have to be a little bit careful because I think that message is also being sold to the younger younger Instagram generation that you don't have to work hard and you can still be a millionaire. Um, and I'm not saying that's not possible for the small few, but for most of us, I still think we have to work reasonably hard or at least learn the best places to put our energy in order to get that wealth. And so what I'm saying is that Sometimes the process of getting to that level of wealth is not going to make you happy. Right. Sometimes okay. the um, the pressure that you put on yourself to get there is too much. And sometimes a slower, more patient approach to getting to wealth. But wealth in the sense that it's not wealth for wealth's sake, but wealth being a combination of happiness, health, and having enough. All right. Was there something, was there a point in your life when this message started to get through to you? Bear in mind, the rest of us didn't figure anything out until we were like mid to late 40s, early 50s. Just don't be embarrassed if it was later, right? No. If you come I... out with something in your 20s, I'm not going to believe you. No. <laughs> No, I think towards my late twenties, early early thirties, because working in the city was 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 tough. It was hard. It was, you know, you you were sacrificing your health probably a lot of the right. time because you were so stressed and working all hours. Um, not saying there weren't fun times, but you were almost too busy to just stop and consider: Am I happy? Am I healthy? Am I, do, am I in the right place? Am I living in line with my values? All of those things. It's until you reach that steady state of, yes, I'm living in line with my values and I'm comfortable and I'm, you know, I've got headspace. 
I'm not completely stressed out. That It's all that internal stuff that makes you truly happy. It's not all of the external stuff that you say, oh, if I go on that holiday, if I have that bag, if I go on that spa weekend. I mean, these things are nice if you're spending time with people that you love. But, you know, it's not the be all and end all. It's just, it's something deeper. This sounds really weird. Obviously, if you're... No, I think it probably doesn't sound weird to those who have reached that point. And for those who haven't reached that point, I hope that you can reach that point because I just think it's important. All right. Okay, look, thank you very much. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, so it sounds like yours was a bit more of a gradual process, whereas, Sarah, I think you had a bit of a road to Damascus moment, didn't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that, is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's all right, I'm a road to Damascus person as well. Well, we have a lot of fun running the cafe. The reason we do it is to reach as many women as possible to empower them around money. So if you know a woman who would benefit from feeling financially empowered, you can help them and us by sharing this episode with them. Michelle, what about yourself? I think for me, the belief was always that I didn't deserve money. I would never have money. Um, I would never earn over a certain amount. I would never be one of those people that you sort of, I always look, you know, you look at other people and you think, well, I'm never going to have a life like that. I'm not going to, you know, I don't deserve to have that kind of money. And I can't even tell you what made me believe that. I know there were certain people in my life certain toxic people that told me I would never amount to anything and I would never have these things. And I go, no, I don't believe you. But probably deep down I did because it has an effect on you and it makes you feel that way. And even now I still struggle with it. So it's probably, I'm definitely not 20s, 30s. I'm definitely 40s <laughs> going, okay, maybe I can earn this much money. Maybe I can have a house. I mean, I had the conversation with a colleague of, you know, we are looking to buy a house at some point and I'm saying a price of house and they're saying, well, why don't you have that price of house? And I'm going, well, I couldn't have a house like that. People oh. like me don't have a house like that. And he's saying, well, why not? And I'm like, because that's not going to happen. So, yeah, I think that's, I, I've changed to an extent where I can accept, you know, potentially earning more than I ever have. However, it's still a it's still a learning curve. I still I still struggle with it a lot. Right. So, what was it like for you then when you first started to realise that this is a story that you've been telling yourself about what you could and couldn't have in life? And I'm just curious about when the penny started to drop. It's like, hang on, this is just a story. It's not a fact. I think I felt really uncomfortable. Because I was like, well, actually, I'm coming out of my comfort zone of what I thought my life would be. Right. You know, all those years of believing something and people telling you certain things. And actually, that's really uncomfortable because then you're becoming something you never thought you would be. It's not a bad thing, but it's not me as such. And yeah, you may have some people who then look at you and go, well, you've changed because you do this and you, you know, you do that. And actually, well, no, because that's my life. I've worked hard to do what I want to do. So it's about gaining the confidence, but it's very uncomfortable to start with. And then you need the confidence to be able to go, no, that's OK. Yeah, it's interesting because if you spent 40 years telling yourself one thing 
And now you're like trying mm. to tell yourself something else. And it's tied in with your identity then, isn't it? Because one of the things you said yeah. is, I am not someone who who can have these things, who can do that. So it's I am. So it is, it's really tied in with your identity. So I'm not surprised it was uncomfortable. So what kind of small things did you did you start to do to get yourself used to this new idea that you are deserving of money? No, I don't think dreaming of what I could have, because I've never been someone who's dreamt a lot about what I may or may not have, but doing small things. So like having a holiday that I didn't think I'd ever have. You know, so the last two, three years, aside from COVID, we've had family holidays that I would never have had, you know, never thought I could have with my children and with my husband. And there is a guilt thing that goes with it because you go, oh, my God, I've just spent that much money on a holiday. And then I think, well, I've just made amazing memories with my, you know, with my family. But you still have, you still have that argument in my head. And that's where I'm now coming to with considering a house. Right. Will people judge me if I buy a certain kind of house? But actually, why can't I have that kind of house? But yeah, it, it's a real battle in my head. Right, so it sounds like it's an ongoing process for you as well. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely not. I'm definitely at the beginning of that, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it, why we always feel like we have to justify these things to ourselves. Yeah, and, it, and it's what we learn as children. Somebody told us that. That wasn't for you. So since you've started to acclimatise yourself to the idea that you are deserving of money, apart from the holidays and considering possibly a bigger house, are there any other ways that that's kind of influenced how life has changed for you? I feel a bit freer in that actually when I have money, I can do things with it and I'm not feeling guilty. You know, I think actually I can have those things. There's nothing to stop me. I do find myself, so my husband will sometimes say, well, people, you know, people like us don't do that. And I will actually turn around now and go, why? Because we're not a type of person. We can do what we want to do. So I'm challenging him, but internally. You're having a wee woo moment. <laughs> yeah. But about, I suppose that's the the planner and the coach in me will say to him, well, why not? Why can't we have that? Because that's what I'm used to doing with clients. But internally, yeah, I'm having that big wobble moment going, oh my God, can I, can I? <laughs> I do just hate that term PLU, don't you? Do you, I mean, the whole PLU, people like us, it's, it's BS, uh, yeah. isn't it? Talking in acronyms here. Um, we are our, our own individual selves. We get to choose our life. We only get one life. Can't we choose it ourselves? <laughs> so, Michelle, right, I want you to imagine I'm a client, okay, and I want to buy a house. And uh, let's say I have come to you. I'm going to have to think in big numbers here because you live on the south coast. So this is going to blow my mind, folks. <laughs> I've come to you and I've said to you that I've got a budget of £400,000 to buy a house. And you're looking at me and you're looking at my circumstances and you're like, Jeez, Julie, you can afford a three quarter of a million pound house. What are you going to say to me to shift me from the the four hundred grand, which I'm having a cardiac, by the way, folks, sort of mindset <laughs> house, to moving me to the three quarters of a million pound? See, I couldn't go to a million pound; that was too far for me. <laughs> what would you say to me as a client? I think I would ask why. 
a £400,000 house? Is there a particular reason? Do you want to do it up? Do you want to, you know, do some major work? Or, you know, what, what what's the reason behind that price range? Well, it just, and, it just seems like a sensible amount to spend on a house. But would you not like something different? <laughs> yes. <laughs> For the benefit of the listeners, my head just exploded. Um, well, I suppose and, some... and that's exactly what my colleague did to me. <laughs> Isn't it exactly the same as the client that comes to me and says he wants a million pound in his pension pot? Why does the number matter? She says as a financial planner. <laughs> but the thing is, why does the number matter? If you like the house and you can afford it, okay, the, the numbers come a little bit into that, but forget about the number itself. If the answer is yes, you can afford it, why not have the house? I think it was also, you know, looking and saying, can that price give me the house I want? So when I had the conversation with my colleague, he went, okay, how many bedrooms do you want? I said, well, we could have three. I said, but I would like four because I'd like an office. Okay, so what do you want outside? Do you want it on the road or do you want somewhere to park the cars? I mean, I've got two daughters who are now both going to be on the road. So we have four cars. We're not liked. Um, and okay, I'd like somewhere to put the cars. Okay. You know, would you like a garage? Well, I don't really care about a garage, but my husband probably would. Right. Okay. So when he sort of did that and then he said, right, so all those things, you know, so yes, I do live on the South coast. So Julia probably have heart failure in a minute. Um, you kind of put down onto prices of houses and he went, well, you're looking at five to 600,000. And I'm like, I would have thought more actually. You know, and that's not necessarily that, that that's what I'm going to buy. It was just, he said, you need to think about what you want. If you could get the house you want in the price range you're looking at, fine. Mm. But if you're compromising and going for what you think you, uh, you know, deserve, then you're wrong. Mm. And he made me print out pictures from Rightmove. Uh, we need an extra bedroom to show me the house I want. <laughs> we need an extra bedroom for when you know the co-hosts of the Women in Money Cafe come to visit. Don't we? <laughs> so exactly, <laughs> just putting in a request here. <laughs> right, absolutely fine. And we need to be able to park our cars as well. So of course, you just get a really long gravel drive. <laughs> so I think we do. <laughs> I'm going to hazard a guess that there are plenty of people listening to this podcast who, when they're either aware that they think this or when they go away and reflect on things, they're going to find a similar story playing in their head. So I'm just curious, Michelle, what, what, what would you, what's the one thing you would want them to take away from the podcast? That nothing is set in stone. The beliefs you have are just your beliefs for your reasons. They're, they're your internal mechanism as to what you believe and just to show you how different something can be in the same household my daughter has just booked her first holiday abroad with her friend amazing I remember my first holiday abroad with my friend and what that was like and where we stayed so I'm pleased my children obviously haven't taken on my belief because she came downstairs and said I've booked my first holiday mom I'm going 11 days, all inclusive, in a four to five star hotel in Corfu. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? your first holiday. I mean, my friend actually went there last year and she's in her 50s. <laughs> you know, and she said, 
Okay, so that's two 19-year-olds on their first holiday. But clearly that's what her... She said, Mum, you've always told me not to compromise for something if I don't want it. So I clearly had an effect on my children, whether that's a positive or negative, we'll wait to see. But, you know, (laughs) I tried hard not to pass on my beliefs to my children and, and hopefully that's one way of demonstrating that I clearly didn't. I think you've done, a, you've done a stand-up job there of making sure that your kids do not inherit that belief, Michelle. Well done. Can I ask you, Michelle, is that when she asked how much money was left in the little pot you've got for her? No, she has paid that all herself out of her okay. wages. Brilliant. Wow. With her little pot. She's got pots too. She's got pots. <laughs> All right. right, Look, thank you very much for sharing that because I think everybody's been really vulnerable there and shared their deepest, darkest secrets there, haven't they? Um, And and how about your secrets? I was just about to wrap up the show there. No, no, no. No, (laughs) no, no. no. (laughs) All right. Okay. So the thing that I used to believe about money that I no longer believe, I used to believe that money wasn't important, which is ironic given what I do for a living. But I was of the belief that money is just a thing. Mine actually sounds like really sensible on the surface until you dig deeper. So like money's just a tool, it just does things. The things that really matter in life are relationships and people and experiences is what the story I told myself. But when I started digging deeper with it, it's not so much that money wasn't important. It's a bit more like you, Michelle. I didn't think I was important. So I didn't really need money. Um, don't know where, where that one came from. And I don't think we want to dig into that too much either. So it's a bit sim- similar to you, Michelle. It's just like, I didn't think I deserved money or I wasn't important. Um, but what made you change? That bloody course, as we call it. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you there. It has a lot to answer for. <laughs> and it's like, it was Neela. Uh, if Neela is another one of our financial advisor friends she was doing a little breakout session with me on what was it the money habitudes questionnaire Mm -hmm. and that's when the penny dropped that I've been telling myself this this bullshit story that money isn't important because it was cover for I'm not important and I've and like throughout the years I'd find all these creative ways to get rid of money if I accidentally made too much money, I would find really clever. And it looked like super nice the way I got rid of money because it would be to charity. It would be, you know, it would be all good things. I wasn't reckless with it. Uh, but then, aha, uh-huh, then the penny dropped. And it's, I think a lot of it's actually tied in with self-worth as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, I've made a concerted effort to build my self-worth. Like, my ego's the size of our planet now, by the way. But, no, that... that <laughs> valuing yourself and realizing that you can do things just for you so yeah a bit like you michelle it's really uncomfortable at the start yeah i'm getting i'm getting much better at it now (laughs) that 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 course i think you know really made we went through the journey that we would do with a client and i Mm -hmm. and i think that's really nice that if you do see a financial coach at some point you you understand that they've probably been through that journey when they've done the training to coach you and it is and I know I think pretty much all of us had a light bulb moment at some point whilst doing that, that training hmm. whether it be positive or negative um but yeah it, it has sort of helped to change our beliefs hasn't it really so it's obviously had the, the positive effect 
it has, aha, because now I have a lot more self-worth. I have boundaries, which I really wish I'd figured out earlier on in life, but I'm getting good at them as well. And uh, it's that ability to be able to to do nice things for yourself. I could do nice things for other people, but I can do them for myself now as well. And I got a cracking tip off of actually it was a it was a client. So it was a financial coaching client who had similar issues to myself. And they came up with this brilliant solution for themselves on how because you give you ask questions, so what steps are you going to take to change us? And they invented a Trello board of ascending treats of getting used to being able to spend money on themselves. And they started small. And then once they felt comfortable with that, they spent a a little bit more money on themselves and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. And they just had this whole system. I thought, that's absolutely brilliant. I'm stealing that. So confidentiality, I can't share who the client was, but but that person, thank you very much for your Trello board. (laughs) Now, as... Any further questions for me, or am I now allowed to wrap up the show? (laughs) I was just going to say one thing, which might be appropriate given that our listeners are women and it's January and maybe some of us are on health kicks. But this whole sort of self-worth thing, I've also heard that um, link to why women can find it difficult to lose weight in that. So a bit of a tangent, but just as a little parallel to finish the show, um, <laughs> Julie is frowning at me. But a lot I'm a of people, bit nervous where you're going no, with this, Emily. Oh, <laughs> let me go with it. Um, so a lot of people hold on to their weight in the same way that a lot of women don't get good with money and don't get just feeling that they're deserving of money. A lot of women will think they're not deserving of having that amazing body. I have heard that as a parallel. It's a comfort thing. It's putting a barrier between you and the real world. My barrier is quite large. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't taking a sip of water there. <laughs> Well, do you know what? It's that time of year where all of us have maybe got a slightly bigger barrier between us and the world than usual. <laughs> but the one thing you can rely on the Women and Money Cafe for is to break down whatever barriers we find out there in the world. We show no respect whatsoever. <laughs> so I think you, you, you just kind of surprised me there, Emily. I think this might be one for us to explore in future episodes because mm. it's not something not something I'd considered before. Okay. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same self worth. Yeah. Belief, and it doesn't matter whether you want, you know, what your body or things, to, your image to be or to look like. But it's that safe, and it's and it's going back to when we we've talked before about how you feel about money when you do understand it and you do manage it well. Well, it's understanding that you could feel like that about yourself, mm. physically, mentally, and emotionally as well. I think everyone's got that barrier, whether it's, you know, the muffin top, the empty bank account, but, you know, someone's Mm. using something somewhere. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, thank you for the interesting tangent, Emily. Um, I'll look forward to revisiting your tangent in future episodes. (laughs) But no, really, really, everybody, thank you very much, Sarah, Michelle, Emily, for sharing those those insights with us uh thank you listeners for listening to us and until next time please do take care of yourselves 
Thanks for listening to the Women and Money Cafe. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review. It really does help. And also please note the podcast is for education and information only and doesn't constitute personal financial advice. Please reach out to one of us or any of the other fantastic financial advisors in the UK for that kind of help. Mm-hmm.